ever get the feeling as we approach the NBA's second season, otherwise known as the playoff season, that things aren't all rosy with the defending champion Golden State Warriors? As we welcome you to this 335th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you, and a lot of things to talk about, as there usually are. Chris and I can find things to talk about in the middle of July, folks, when it's like soccer and a bike race, you know, things that we just, well, Chris has respect for everybody. And I, that's what I respect about Chris. I have respect for nobody. Um, well, that's not true, but some of those sports, I'm not a big fan of, but we do have things to talk about. And I want to start with the, regardless of how good my Milwaukee Bucks are playing and they're one game away from clinching home court advantage throughout the whole NBA uh, playoffs, if they do make a deep run, and I love Giannis, and you know I love LeBron James, and but this, the marquee team in the NBA is still, obviously, the gunshot wounds. No, it's the Golden State Warriors, and they seem to be having a little bit of a problem. I think that finally, after all the success that they have had, I think that maybe there's a little bit of some uneasiness. Uh, there's certainly some you know, they're they're breaking up the band is what they're doing at the end of the year. You can't afford to pay five all-stars on one team. You can't do it, especially when you're talking about guys like Stephon Curry and you're talking about uh, Kevin Durant. I mean, those two would be right now on your all-NBA team, without a doubt in my mind. I think you would have to put Steph Curry at one guard. I think the other guard would probably be oh I don't know let's put Russell Westbrook there how about James Harden I hate him but I think right now you'd have to have Steph and Harden in the backcourt your front court would have to be probably more than likely Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo and your center would have to be Joel L- Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers right off the top of my head there's your all NBA team and two of those guys happen to be from the marquee franchise of the NBA and you become a marquee franchise when you've won three out of the last four NBA championships. And realistically, as I've said a million times, and Chris is going to tell me to shut the fuck up, but it's been, should have been, four out of the last four years. In reality, folks, the year they didn't win, they went 73-9 and nine in the regular season. But I think that Durant going to New York is starting to wear on things a little bit. I think Draymond Green and his poutiness. I don't know if there's a better word for it, but he's always seemed to be pouty. You saw Steve Kerr a couple weeks ago, and you could be Helen Keller and see what Steve Kerr was saying when he said, I'm getting so fucking sick of Draymond's bullshit. I just think you have great talent all sequestered in one locker room. Things, you know, things probably start to erode after a while. And you've heard Clay Thompson who's a free agent at the end of the season, maybe going to L.A. You've heard Kevin Durant going to the New York Knicks. He's a free agent at the end of the season. Draymond Green is not a free agent. He will be next season. But I think maybe if somebody proposed a trade right now to general manager Bob Myers, he may look at it because I think Draymond is the lightning rod here that is kind of making the Golden State Warriors a little dysfunctional these days. Um... And I agree with Chris a thousand percent. As long as you have 
Stephon Curry on your roster, you're going to be competitive, no question. But there are so many expectations for this team. They're now, you know, they've had what a lot of people probably believe is not a great season. You know, realistically, think about it, folks. When would you picture the Golden State Warriors five games behind the Milwaukee Bucks in the overall NBA standings when there's only four games left in the season? I I don't see it, okay? So, but what I'm getting at here, long-winded, and you know me, I, I have a tendency to do that, but you can tell that the writing's on the wall a little bit because you, you the biggest thing lately hasn't been what the Warriors are doing on the floor. It's they are constantly jawn at the referees, whether it's Kerr, whether it's the players themselves. But on Tuesday, the NBA got a little bit pissed off at Team Refugee, and Stephon Curry got fined, Kevin Durant got fined, uh, Draymond Green got fined by the NBA for criticizing the refs. Now, there are different varying degrees of criticism because Draymond Green got nailed for 35 grand. Stephon Curry got nailed for 25 grand and KD got nailed for 15 grand. So obviously Draymond was the loudest and that doesn't surprise me. He played for Tom Izzo at Michigan State. He must be excited because they're going to the final four. But I'm just surprised as I bring in the executive producer and the boss of Unscripted. And, and uh, you know, we talk a lot about the Golden State Warriors because they're always in the headlines. And most of the time they're in the headlines because of their superior play on the floor. But the last couple of months, there have been more signs that things aren't all so sweet out there in the East Bay. And uh, I don't know, my friend, if it's just a, if it's just such a sure slam dunk that the Golden State Warriors not only, A, are going to be in the Western Conference Finals, or excuse me, in the NBA Finals, but if they are going to get there, I don't know if it's such a slam dunk if they're even going to win it this year. Yeah, we're actually starting to see some cracks there for sure. I got such a kick out of this uh, highlight, shall we call it, the other day. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Carl Anthony Towns, basically his man was Draymond Green. And so Draymond Green has the ball dead center at the three-point line. And Carl Anthony Towns was under the net, basically. Mm-hmm. And you see, and he yeah. even what he just kind of slowly walked and then just put his hand up like, oh, pshaw, you know, and just <laughs> put his hand like, you suck. You're not even going to shoot. Like, just no respect for Draymond's shooting ability. And even being wide open, Draymond still passed it over to Steph Curry, who was covered, which was hilarious. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. So it's what we kind of talked about earlier. If we really break up this team, I'm confident Steph Curry will be okay. Kevin Durant's proved he can be a a leader on a team before and do well on his own. But the rest of them, I don't know. Maybe they're great complementary pieces. Maybe they're just in the right place at the right time. But Draymond Green, is he going to be the type of guy that could lead a team on his own? I don't think so. I don't know. That's a great point. Um, You know, everywhere Durant has been, he's been a part of, you know, he's been kind of a Butch Cassidy Sundance kid kind of thing. He had, uh, remember folks, think about this, especially now, the way these three guys are playing. But remember early in their careers, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and one James Harden were all on the same Oklahoma City Thunder team. And they did dick. They didn't do nothing. Which is crazy. They made it to one, and, and actually, the three of them never even made it to the Western Conference Finals. The last year that KD and Westbrook were together, 
in Oklahoma City was the last year uh, that Oklahoma City made it to the Western Conference Final. But by that time, Harden had already gone on and to play with the Houston Rockets. So um, I, I don't know. That's a great question. And, you know, the thing that worries me a little bit about Kevin Durant, um, if he's having a problem right now with the media, with <laughs> teammates in yeah. general, and, and everything about his Golden State experience, how the hell is it going to get any better if he does end up in New York? with the expectations in the world's biggest media center. And, you know, the rumors, again, you can be my friend Helen Keller and know that everybody has targeted that KD and Kawhi, uh, not Kawhi, but uh, Kyrie Irving from Boston, and they think somehow, miraculously, the Knicks are going to win the lottery, and they all think that it's going to be KD, Kyrie, and Zion Williamson next year in New York. You can put those three great talents together, but that doesn't automatically mean that they're going to win a championship in New York because these guys haven't played together. And the pressure, if if Durant is having a problem with expectations in the East Bay, can you imagine the problems he's going to have in Gotham with the expectations in New York and the money that that it would cost Mr. Dolan to pl- to pay those two players first and foremost. Zion Williamson would be on a rookie contract his first three years, so that would help a little bit. But there's a reason that the New York Knicks haven't won a world's championship since 1973, folks. And some people cannot play under the scrutiny that is New York City. Yeah, it's going to be a real culture shock for Kevin Durant. I mean, when you're in San Francisco, you want to keep the media happy. You just hand out some sprout sandwiches and... <laughs> They're gonna be great. You go to them. That's a good line. You like that? You That's go- a good line. I wish <laughs> yeah. I'd have thought of that. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you go to the media capital of the world, and it's not so easy. And I'm not. I'm not saying that Kevin Durant is gonna wilt under the pressure. I don't think he will play poorly if he's the star of the New York Knicks. But I do think his sour attitude he's had the last few years is going to continue and maybe get worse. And and that's gonna affect his play more than anything because I think he can handle. You know, having the weight of the world, you know, or the city's big or the country's biggest market on right. his shoulders. I think he can handle that. But yeah, the media, I think just his attitude has gotten worse. And I don't know what his problem is. And it's, uh, I think that'll continue to spiral down, especially if you're surrounding him with locker room cancers in the form of Kyrie Irving and potentially some other misfits like that, too. Also, I don't know if that's going to be the best place for a Zion Williamson to uh, learn the right way to do things either. Really, look, I, to me, there's a lot of great players in the NBA, and it is a star-driven league, but I think we're seeing kind of a schism between the guys that are can single-handedly, if necessary, take a team you know, on their back and just are going to carry it because they're so amazing. And I'm talking about Steph Curry, LeBron James, and I'm hoping Giannis Antetokounmpo as well. But then when you look Me at two, baby, yeah, but then there's guys that just feel like they're never going to win a championship. They're just going to put up gaudy, selfish numbers for themselves, just personal stats, uh, you know, out the wazoo, but they're not going to lead to team success. And I'm thinking about guys like Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Those are the types of guys that I think they're, their stats will be untouchable, but they're not going to win any championships. You need to have... I think a guy like Steph Curry, LeBron James, Giannis, guys like that, 
And I think those are the ones that are going to win the championships, even though uh, the Hardens and the Westbrooks of the world might put up better personal stats. They're not going to touch these guys when it comes to team championships. That's for sure. Interesting news. Um, I do want to get to the National Hockey League because there's some interesting things to talk about there. But I do have one more developing story, if you will, to quickly discuss involving the National Basketball Association. Right before the trade deadline in the NBA, which to my recollection was around February 25th, and I think it was about a week before was when the New York Knickerbockers traded uh, future and, and this guy was uh, this guy was the franchise for a long time in New York. Well, you know, he's only been in the league three or four years, but I'm talking about the seven-footer from Latvia, Kristaps Porzingis. He was traded. Now, he has not played this whole year because he blew out his ACL at the end of last season, and as a precautionary measure, they've decided to hold him back and get him back 100% healthy in anticipation of the 2019-2020 NBA season, but he'll be doing it in a different city. And now, with the news that came out this week, maybe I can see why that the New York Knickerbockers were so interested in trading Kristaps Porzingis. Because it came out earlier this week that Mr. Porzingis is under an investigation of a claim that uh, he raped a woman in his New York apartment. Um, now, Adrian Wojwhatever of ESPN is reporting that the Knicks made the Mavericks aware of this situation. Mark Cuban, the owner of the of the um, Dallas Mavericks, computer nerd, you know, Indiana University, Shark Tank, and all the other stuff. Um, Mark Cuban has come out publicly and said, yes, he was aware of a situation, but no one mentioned the word rape. So um, supposedly there was a woman big Porzingis fan, followed him to, wanted to meet him after a game. This was the day or the night of where he blew out his ACL. So they they do know that there was some alcohol involved, uh, but I don't know all the, the parameters. You know, I, I don't want to know all the parameters. What I do know is that this lady supposedly was looking for $68,000 to get her kid brother through university and that she figured that if she sleeps with Porzingis, that that will get the deed done. So it's extortion, it's blackmail, it's whatever you want to call it. Well, he didn't pay the money, and all of, all of a sudden now, a month or so after he'd been traded to Big, De uh, Big D down to Dallas, now we're hearing about rape allegations. Um, I, I, first of all, first of all, first of all, first of all, um, these allegations can never be taken lightly, okay? It's always going to be he said versus she said and all this other, you know, extracurricular bullshit. But um, I, I am um, very interested to, because obviously now the New York City, the New York PD is involved, the Dallas Police Department is involved. They're all trying to find answers to the questions. I think we'd all like to see answers to the questions, but did the New York Knicks, because we know that they aren't the most stably run franchise in the NBA, folks. This is not the Golden State Warriors in regard to a model NBA franchise. There is a lot of chaos at Madison Square Garden in New York. 
Um, we know that James Dolan likes to throw people and put them on an indent, uh, in, indefinite suspension list from Madison Square Garden. We know general manager Steve Mills is a limp dick. Um, there's a lot of dysfunction in New York, but somewhere somebody screwed up. And I wonder what the NBA is going to do about it. Boy, this is a, an interesting story for sure. But uh, yeah, you get tired of hearing about all these allegations and then it's tough because nobody wins here because you're going to, you know, everyone's going to assume that the, it's like people can simultaneously uh, assume that the athlete probably did something wrong, but yet the woman is probably extorting him too. And that, so that everyone looks bad and everyone's stained and it just poisons the whole well and the whole thing is Gold just digger. sad. Yeah. And they're going to call her all sorts of names and maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong and maybe we'll never find out. And maybe they're both, you know, somewhat to blame here, but who knows, but it just, it does sound weird, though, a woman like going, like hunting down a guy after a game. Like, I mean, it's just, it's not a good look, even if she was innocent there or just wanted to meet some guy. Like, I mean, it's just, how does she end up back? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense, to be honest, and it's just not a good look. But anyway, I mean, I, it, how much money it, would it take to make this just go away, ideally? $68,000. Yeah, exactly. And what's, what's 68000 to Christoph Przingis? But the average person, that's a lot of money. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's part of the problem with such a massive gap between what the average citizen earns and, and what a professional athlete earns. And, and so that's kind of sad. Also, I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank lately. And uh, Mark Cuban on there, you know, he recently got in trouble for um, basically some insensitive comments and stuff relating to women so he has to really be careful mm-hmm. what he's uh, saying with this stuff for sure so yeah it's it's just kind of a sad story you get tired of hearing about all these allegations and all this type of stuff and uh, i just i just want it to go away to be honest national hockey league is where we're going next and and of of the year and a half and now longer than year and a half that chris and i have been together and 334 produced episodes one of the funniest things Chris ever said, and it was so simple, but it was funny. He says, the power rankings, otherwise known as the standings. Well, I have the standings right in front of me, and this is begrudgingly coming out of me, but we need to give some uh, congratulations to the Toronto Maple Leafs, who last night uh, secured their ticket to the postseason when they won on Long Island, beat the New York Islanders, and coincidentally enough, John Tavares scores the game-winning goal for the Toronto Maple Leafs as they clinch a postseason bid. Congratulations to Mike Babcock. Congratulations to Kyle Dubas, even though I still think he looks like the biggest dork in the National Hockey League. Um, But regardless of all that, we really do need to congratulate um, Alexander Ovechkin. This is an unbelievable accomplishment, folks. And previous to this happening, this would have been last, I guess it would have been Monday night, Ovechkin uh, joins Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy as the only three guys in National Hockey League history to have eight 50-goal seasons. That, my friends, is an unbelievable accomplishment. Congratulations to Ovechkin. I have a much more uh, appreciation for Alexander Ovechkin after after he finally wins the Stanley Cup and he goes out and celebrates the way we would envision ourselves taking the biggest trophy from your preferred line of work and you have it and you do 
despicable things to it, but you're out enjoying the fruits of your labor. I have become an Ovechkin fan. And I think some people, because of just how out there he is and the way he's portrayed sometimes with some of the silliness, people forget what an unbelievable hockey player this guy is. To be one of only three to do anything in life is unbelievable. But to have eight seasons of 50 goals plus, that is astounding. And congratulations to one of the really good players in a National Hockey League that if there is any question that anybody ever has about Alexander Ovechkin and his candidacy for Young Street in Toronto the day after he retires, you can go put yourself back in the hole because Alexander Ovechkin deserves to be a first ballot first time Hall of Famer in the NHL. Oh, easily the best goal scorer of all time adjusted for era, as I always say. Yep. The fact that he technically, as a guy that's only in his early 30s and guys playing to their 40s and all that right now, if he doesn't uh, get uh, cirrhosis of the liver, uh, he should be able to play into his 40s with today's modern nutrition and everything. And if he has the will and as we saw by those celebrations, he really is a kid at heart, which to me means he's young at heart, which to me means that he should have the passion for the game of hockey for a long time. And the fact that is that you could project that he actually mathematically has a shot of beating Wayne Gretzky's goals record is unbelievable because Gretzky played so much of that most of his career in just a different era where there was... You know, the goalies were tiny and they were tiny equipment and it was just and they didn't have the technique that they have today. And they just had I mean, so many of Gretzky's highlights and this is not his fault, but they were a wrist shot or, Mm. you know, a slap shot from Gretzky, which wasn't even very powerful. And it was just ridiculous. And nowadays, nobody ever really is expected to touch those all time great hockey records. It's the only sport I can think of where a lot of the records are just unattainable because of the advancements in goaltending, goaltending equipment, etc. And the fact that Alexander Ovechkin has a shot at becoming the all-time goals leader is unbelievable. It's almost incomprehensible. Adjusted for era, I think he is by far the best goal scorer of all time. And now, who knows, maybe someday... Who knows? Maybe Connor McDavid would touch him, but Connor McDavid isn't as pure a goal scorer as Alexander Ovechkin. And, you know, Wayne Gretzky is just so far ahead of everybody, but Alexander is going to make a case for it. I mean, Yager and Messier are way up there, and Yager played forever, and he, and even he still, I think, is going to get beaten by Ovechkin here. So Ovechkin is just unbelievable, and I think he's the greatest of all time. Absolutely, you're right. First ballot Hall of Famer, and anyone who votes against Ovechkin getting in on the first ballot should lose their right to have any decision-making power with the NHL ever again. Totally agreed. If you are a voter and you have that privilege to be a voter and you don't put his name on the first ballot the first time he's eligible, you should lose that ability. I truly believe that. Um, We've got, in the National Hockey League, five in the Eastern Conference, five positions have been solidified. My phone has just died again. I don't know what these new iPhone 8s are a piece of crap. But anyway, um, I was looking at five of them are in. Um, and the last spot basically in the East comes down to Pittsburgh, um, uh, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and the Montreal Canadiens. And right now, if the season was over today, Montreal would be on the outside looking in. I want your feeling on who do you think is going to 
win that those last three positions. And then in the West, six teams are in, and the three that are fi- that are battling for the final two spots, Dallas and Colorado right now hold the final two spots, and the Arizona Coyotes. Chris and I kind of, Chris probably more than me, but I'm I'm getting on the bandwagon because of the young general manager and all the obstacles that you deal with as the general manager and a member of the Arizona Coyotes organization, just from that perspective, they're two points back from my recollection with probably two games left. Um, I don't know if Arizona is going to do it, but I'd sure like to see them do it. And it really seems switching back to the Eastern conference in the power rankings. It really seems to be funny to me that the Pittsburgh Penguins with two games left still haven't clinched a playoff spot. Kind of weird. Yeah, well, in the West here, the Blackhawks have too far to go. Uh, Minnesota Wild, <laughs> go fuck yourself, Devin Dubnik. <laughs> so, and and really, Dallas, even though they've only ever been ahead of the second wild card spot, it's just like they're always ahead by three points. They have for the last few weeks or months here. It seems like uh, they seem like they've just had that kind of sewn up all the way. That just seems like they're position so really comes down to is the final wild card spot going to be the Colorado Avalanche or the Arizona Coyotes and uh, with each with three games left Colorado has a three-point advantage and of uh, of course with what they call the Bettman point yeah uh, you know it makes it really hard to overcome and to catch up to people so you know Colorado's in the driver's seat but uh, also the Arizona Coyotes actually have uh, two more wins is that the Avalanche have six more overtime losses. The Avalanche have 14 Bettman points, which is crazy. So they're relying on overtime losses to get them to where they are. So really, I think the Arizona Coyotes are a better team. And I'm cheering for them just because of John Chaka and getting that young GM in there when he was 26. I think that was such a cool decision. So I'd like to see them get rewarded for that. And I think that would be great. But yeah, the Eastern race for that wild card spot between where two of these three are going to make it, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Montreal Canadiens, is just an amazing, amazing fight. I think Pittsburgh's okay. They're three points ahead of Columbus, who has the most of those other three. So Pittsburgh looks like they'll be fine. But that race between Columbus, Carolina, and Montreal, the other night they were all playing and all three won. Yeah. And uh, like it's a, it's a real thing because... Remember, Columbus really loaded up by getting Matt Duchesne mm-hmm. and some other trades. Right, six Hit. trades at the at the uh, at the trade deadline. Yeah, like they were acting like they were in first place and trying to win a cup, and they're not even even now they're not even assured anything. So I, I like that the, to go all in like that. I appreciate that. Carolina Hurricanes are, you know, that storm surge thing has just been a really cool thing. Really galvanized the fans. You can see the fan support. Probably the best fan support the Hurricanes have had since 06 when they beat the Oilers for the Cup. And Montreal, of course, the most storied franchise in NHL history. So what a great three-way race that is. Columbus with 94, Carolina 93, and Montreal with 92 points. And all three have played 79 games, so have three games left. Just a great race. Uh, I mean, I guess you have to take Columbus and Carolina. It's too bad to miss out on a Canadian team there. And, uh, you know, this is not over this race. But if I had to guess, I would say Montreal will be the final one on the outside looking in. That would be good. Then we would have uh, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg, and Calgary. We'd have four of the seven Canadian teams in the National Hockey League. If, if Montreal if makes Mon- it in. That's what I'm saying. If yeah. Montreal makes it in, we'd have four of seven. That's coming off the heels of last year. We had one of seven. 
Last year, the only team north of the 49th parallel that made the playoffs was the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and then what is it, a couple years ago when they there had was none. Well, there was none. There and few yeah, years ago. and then there was a year there was five out of seven. Yeah. The last time the local losers made yeah. the playoffs. So um, it's always good, especially obviously here in Canada, it's always good if uh, as many of the seven National Hockey League teams make the uh, postseason. That's that's the best. It's always kind of funny. when it, And this is very unique to Canada and something that, that took me a while to understand. But if your team is in, obviously you 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 know you cheer your you know what's off for that team but ultimately if your team gets eliminated and there's still a canadian team in then that passion turns to that canadian team and that's really cool i've really learned to enjoy that here in canada last year a lot of fans became winnipeg jets fans when they were the last team standing so it's been since 1993 since a Canadian team has won Lord Stanley's Cup the last time to do it, the 1993 Montreal Canadiens, and it needs to happen again, just so it isn't the local guys. Yeah, but I mean, for me as a Canadian, I'm just, I'm not the best example of a Canadian because I've just, first of all, I consider myself a Western Canadian because Eastern Canada has just always felt like a different country to me. And it's, you know, that's where all the population is. And they're all so much more left wing than out in Western Canada. So it just feels really odd so I don't really care to be honest I like Winnipeg so I'm a Jets fan Jets are my third favorite team but I'm still going to cheer for the Golden Knights as my second favorite team with the Oilers out of it so uh, just like last year they met in the playoffs and I cheered for the Golden Knights and they did beat the Jets which frankly if the Golden Knights wouldn't have won that I could have seen the Jets going all the way but anyway yeah I mean I don't really care about any uh, Canadian teams personally except for Edmonton and Winnipeg if I'm being honest I just don't well, I would rather see, in, in my opinion, uh, I would rather see a bona fide, successful franchise. And I think there are seven stable, fran- well, six stable franchises in Canada, <laughs> yeah. not the locals, um, but they're well, in the playoffs. Well, five, maybe you got to take away Ottawa as well. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Mel. They're, they're, the yeah. they're the biggest mess they're in the, the league. They're the biggest mess in the league. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're an entity all by themselves. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I, I I would, if it came down to a one of the, let's say, let's say Montreal makes it in. So one of the four Canadian teams that make it into the playoffs. If it came down to the difference of uh, a Canadian team versus, um, let's say, Dallas. Not a big Stars fan. They do get some, they do get, uh, especially during the playoffs, they get a little bit of fan participation down there. But I've also seen a lot of Stars games over the years where most fans come as empty seats. So it isn't, you know, Dallas to me, Tampa Bay, is as great as the Lightning have been this year, Miami, Nashville, Dallas, Tampa Bay, Phoenix are not, in my estimation, are not traditional hockey markets. Um, all of the markets in Canada, even Ottawa, are traditional hockey markets. And that would be the point where I'm coming from, that if you get a series down the line, and even if you don't have an affiliation with either team, let's say Dallas plays Winnipeg, I'd rather see the Winnipeg team win. Just because I know what those Winnipeg people went through to get a team back after they were they lost their first team to Phoenix, I would just like to see uh, a Canadian city, a Canadian franchise that has suffered, seen good times, seen bad times, but I would like to see a Canadian team 
do well in these upcoming playoffs. Yeah, but I mean, if you look, if, Winnipeg's easy to cheer for, right? And and I'm an Oiler fan already, so the other ones are a little more challenging. I mean, Vancouver is just one of those fair weather places where it just feels like you have these fair weather fans, right? Right. So it's hard to cheer for them if you're not a Canucks fan. Toronto is obviously the most insufferable oh, place. God. Can you, like everyone just dreads if the Leafs ever won a cup, like the media. Oh my God, I'd move to the states. Yeah, it, it would be unbearable. I'd bring you down. Yeah, Montreal's already had uh, so much success. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and I mean, a lot of people don't like them either. I mean, I could live with them winning a cup. It would, it would be whatever. It's not a big deal. And Ottawa, well, I don't like the ownership, and while they're a mess, there is certainly nothing wrong with. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't mind if Ottawa's fans got a cup. Like right, that, right, that'd be fine. But I don't want to cheer for the team because of uh, Melnick or whatever. So. What are you, re- and of course, the Flames, I mean, not just arch rivals, but just everything about this city and the sports fans. And to be honest, they should, it's weird because the Flames fans should be, uh, you know, shouldn't seem so fair weather, but they do feel like they were, until the Red Mile, nobody had a jersey right. and they did not have good fan support. That- well, and we've mentioned this how many times during the regular season. The lower bowl just becomes a cocktail party yeah. of people that want to be seen. Yeah. They aren't watching the activity on the ice. They don't know what the hell's going it's on. So weird. But they don't pay attention until they start playing in the you know in the playoffs. They don't. They don't. I I have sat, especially in my development days, when your contractors and your home builders and whatever take you to the games, and it was just to see how much you could get drunk on somebody else's. Yeah, dime. totally. I, was, I've I've been in those boxes yeah, and, and the, these games and for companies I've worked for, and it's weird i you know all i can think of it's it's almost the difference between uh you know how calgary is more of a white collar city traditionally and and edmonton's more of a blue collar city mm-hmm. but when i talk to edmonton fans they seem to really know what's going on and and whatever and up here maybe now the flames are good some of them are paying a little more attention but a lot of them especially when you're at the games mm-hmm. they're just there to get yeah get drunk or be seen and it feels more like uh you know when the canucks are in the playoffs or something all of a sudden they're cool and every you know, 18-year-old girl gets her Canucks jersey out of the closet and whatever, and it just is like, what is this? And Because Calgary, as much as we have things we don't like about Calgary and the corporate culture and everything right. here, if nothing else, Cowtown should be the opposite of, uh, of of Vancouver, Hollywood North, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Whereas the worst parts of that seem to be adopted by this city. Maybe it's as we've gotten bigger and something and maybe some residual effects left from when this place was booming where but it just kind of feels like this fake place and it just is so weird it's hard to put your finger on it but i have to say uh, the oilers fans whenever i've been around them have been really cool when i've gone up to edmonton both at the new arena and the old one and uh, i've been very happy with that but uh, impossible for me to cheer for the flames you mentioned the stars as an oiler fan you have to hate the stars they used to knock us out of the playoffs every year and there's nothing to get excited about hockey in Texas. Who gives a shit, <laughs> right? But at the same time, I will cheer for anyone over the Flames. I mean, they're my oh. least favorite team, and I just have no use for them at all. And as and actually, as someone who lives in Calgary, the Maple Leafs winning the Cup would be less insufferable than the local team winning for sure, because that would just be excruciating. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Imagine? Then we would have to move. Can you imagine? No, yeah. No. I yeah, that'd be no. hard. I'll sponsor you. Even, you and Martine, I'll sponsor I'd you. We'll go, yeah. we'll go to Vegas. We'll go to Vegas. We'll work from home. We've got to run on <laughs>
permanently. We've got to run on this 335th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. We've still got things to get at this week, and obviously we'll wrap up the week with our favorite episode, our little fun thing we call Freeform Friday. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.